Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to cover 16 verses, so we got a lot to cover. I have a question for you. I want you to imagine a world for a second. And maybe this might may not be too hard here coming in the next 10 years. I don't know. Imagine a world there's no social security. Some of you are on social security. Some of you, like me, are, I don't know if looking forward to being on social security, but looking forward to the money, help retirement, help pay bills. Imagine no 401ks, no pension programs, no life insurance. None of that. No financial structure that way of support. Imagine a world where if you're a woman, there was almost no good, reputable jobs for compensation. That's why many times we see in Scripture that Women are struggling and going into prostitution because there was nothing for women to do to earn money. Imagine that world. That's the world that Timothy is in. That's the world that Paul is is writing this letter to be able to help Timothy understand the responsibility that he has as he sets this beautiful body of believers in, in, a, in a church and, and an organization to some level. It's a living organism. It's, it's this beautiful community. But there's obviously some, some guidelines that Timothy needs to understand, some, some practical things that he needs to put into place to be able to care for people who are struggling. We've seen that Paul has addressed in his letter many things, false teaching, how Timothy should live his life, the appointment of elders and deacons, multiple things that as he's explaining to Timothy about what it's going to look like, the things he needs to do to be able to set up the church in a healthy way. I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 43. This is really right after the day of Pentecost and they're, they're meeting together, the church is gathering, and I think this has a as a good impression about what was taking place as the church was birthed. Chapter 2, 42 through 45 of Acts. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, to pr- and the prayers. And all came over every soul, and many wondered, m- wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I know I've heard many people say about this, well, that was the early church. We're not in the early church anymore, so we don't, we don't need to live that way necessarily. We, didn't, we don't need to go sell all that we have to give away to people in need. I don't know. I think what the Scripture is going to call us to, and I think all of Scripture calls us to, is a sacrificial life to continue to build up the body. Those that 
have much, have some responsibility to those who have little. I'm not talking about wealth redistribution. This is not a political thing. This is, this, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the body, when, when we see a believer who's struggling and, and needing assistance, that we should come alongside them spiritually, practically, financially, emotionally, counseling. I think that's what he's encouraging the church. And so here in the text, Paul's going to get really practical about some ways that Timothy needs to interact with all of these people now that he's kind of not in charge of, but kind of serving. How does he serve all these people? How does he do it well? Why would Paul be concerned that Timothy, what would be the problem with Timothy not doing it well? He's going to talk to Timothy about how to, how to deal with older men. Timothy's probably late 20s, maybe 30, we're not sure. Elders, not, not much like elders in the church, but older people. In this culture, there was a great sense of, of respect and wisdom in the older culture. And, and what he's telling Timothy, he's going to tell Timothy, how you interact with older men and older women is going to be very important, Timothy. But not only that, he says, even young people, people your own age, Timothy, how you interact with them is critical. Why would he need to tell Timothy that? Do you think it's possible? The text doesn't say this. I'm just wondering. Maybe it's like Timothy has been tasked with all this. And Timothy, like, I mean, think about what, what's happened here for Timothy. Timothy has been given responsibility here. The Messiah has come. The church was being established. He needed to rebuff false teaching. He needed to challenge it. He needed to set up elders and deacons. He needed to to make sure that the widows were cared for. He needs to do all of these things and many more, and he needs to do them in a way that people will respond. But I could see that Timothy could be a little prideful here. I'm the guy. Paul put me in charge of Ephesus right here, the church. I'm only like 28 years old. I could see where Timothy could get a little big for his riches, right? And so I think Paul is just reminding him that when you come to these people and, and do the thing that you're being tasked by God to do to set up his church, Timothy must do it with gentleness and love for the flock. Other places we see where, where the apostle Paul says, you know, don't, don't do it as the Gentiles do and lord over them and have authority. You should serve them. Jesus comes in many places and says, you should serve one another. He's telling the apostles that the night he was, the night before he was killed. He's in the upper room and he washes their feet. And what's the whole point of that? I think the whole point of that is saying, look, you will be prideful when you leave here if you're not careful. And yet I am the Christ and I came to serve. And so you should do the same. And so this is the task that, that Timothy has been given here in the early church. So what's your big idea this morning of this text? God instructs us to respect one another and care for widows. God instructs us to respect one another. Now, what does respect look like? We could spend a lot of time, I'm not going to do that. I think we know what respect looks like. We don't always respect people, but we know what it looks like. We need to submit at times. Even when we're in positions of authority, there's a, a submission, a, a willing submission. Christ submitted, and yet he had authority. The elders at some level in the early church had some authority, but yet God 
tells them to submit, to serve the flock, and to care for widows. Now, I'm going to be upfront with you about kind of, we're going to expand this just a little bit. This is a completely different culture here in the text. Like I said, no social security, none of those, no safety nets, no Medicare, no Medicaid, no, no health insurance, right? None of that was there. Now, there's lots of places in the world that it's like this still. I don't think, you, we don't think about that. But there's lots of places in the world that it is this. This is what's taking place. They have nothing. And so I want to say that in the church, I think we need to make sure that we're not only caring for the widows, but we need to be caring for each other. And I think Scripture clearly supports that. And so I'm probably going to bleed a little bit that way as we kind of go through this. But specifically, he is addressing widows here. And why would that be? Because in this culture, if you were married, you almost needed to be married to survive. You couldn't earn money. Women were really in a kind of a sideline and some parts of culture almost like a piece of property. When Christ came, he elevated women, incredibly so, right? But, but in that culture, they were kind of like, don't be seen. Have babies, Stay at home, and and I'll get to that in a minute because I think that's a hugely important, glorious privilege. But if your husband died or left you, if you didn't have a family to take care of you, how would you survive? There was no safety net. There was no financial safety net there. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but... Husbands, and, and, and maybe you're not the, the breadwinner in your home, maybe your wife is, and I understand that, but I'm just saying, for myself, I, I make more money um, right now because my wife has decided to do a few things differently and, and get into Christian education at one time, and, and so I'm, I'm the primary breadwinner. I spend a lot of time making sure that if when I die, she will be taken care of. I told her, she's not going to be able to travel the world unless she marries another guy that's got a lot more money, and she's free to do that. After I die. Um, but, but I want her to be taken care of. Because we don't have a culture now, even in the church, that's going to take care of her the way probably the church should. And, I'm not, and our church is very generous. And our church is, I mean, you, when I say the church, you, the church, is very generous and very caring. But it's a lot in our culture to take care of somebody. And so here he's telling them to make sure to care for the widows. All right, we're going to move very quickly, so hang on, let's go. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. He starts out here talking and addressing how Timothy should interact with older and younger people. When I say younger, people more his age. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So he's starting out, he's saying, Timothy, obviously you're, you're, that's everybody, right? That's everybody. He's addressed, this is how you're going to have to communicate with everybody, Timothy, because this is everybody, older men, older women, younger men, women, and younger men. This is, this is everybody. This is the population. And so how should you do that, Timothy? Notice the terms he uses is mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters. Why? 
Because I think what he's doing here is is that we should respect each other by treating each other like family. He's tapping in, I would argue, all the way back to creation, that God has established a family to care for one another and to love one another and to respect one another and to think the best of one another. And he's saying, Timothy, the church should be structured. It is a family, Timothy. And so treat them that way. Treat the older man as your father. Be respectful. Treat the older woman as your mother. Serve her, Timothy. Don't don't be arrogant with your brothers and sisters. Be a brother. Be a a big brother to them. Be a a younger brother to them. Have this relationship of, of mutual respect. Now, it says, do not rebuke, and and we're going to see this later, probably next week. Paul is not saying not to admonish older men or older women or, or anyone, the younger men, younger women. He's saying, don't be harsh. That word rebuke is, is don't be harsh. Don't be offensive um, when you talk to them. Be respectful. It will be okay to admonish. In fact, we're going to see he tells him he must admonish them. Then he goes on and says, but encourage them as you would a father. In other words, when we admonish, we want to remind them. I want to give you a a thought here. When you're talking to someone who is a believer and and they're living a life that, you know, is not where you think they ought to be and, and they're struggling with some things, admonishment is not just coming in and saying, you're not doing right, you're bad. That's what sometimes people think of admonishment. Admonishment is, and David, you're sitting right here, I'm sorry. Um, admonishment is coming up to David and saying, David, brother, I love you. And I know you love the Lord, man. See the encouragement right there? I'm affirming something in David. And David, you're, I've seen this in you, brother, and I know that's not what you want. I know you want to live for Christ. I know you want to be a good example to your children and to your wife and the, the people around you. And I just want to encourage you, man, how can I pray for this thing in your life that you're struggling with right now? I just admonished him, and it felt like I was just building him up. And I'm not trying to say we should, I'm not blowing smoke there. All those things are true. But we don't want to, it's, now there are times when that gets, we need to be a little bit more admonishing, right? But we want to remind them of who they say they belong to, and what they worship, and who they love, and say, remember because that will change David's heart. Now, sometimes we have to be a little bit more firm, but that's not where it starts. That's not where it starts. And that's what he's trying to say here. And notice in the very last part of this, is he says, in all purity. I think what, what Paul is addressing here to Timothy is, is Timothy, as you as you, now, this all purity probably has to do, and, and I think Luke addressed it last week, um, probably in the area of sexuality, to be pure. I think what, what he's saying is, is, Timothy, when you address women, do it in all purity. No coarse joking. No flirting. Not like that. You respect them. You honor them. You, you, you don't... It's how you do that, Timothy, you elevate them and honor them, and you do it in all purity. He's not saying that you can't eventually court 
a young woman. He's not saying you can't do that. He's saying as you lead and as you raise up leaders, this culture of how we treat women should be established and you should do it in all purity. Now, what's amazing to me, or maybe not amazing, but just reminds me that we, churches today are struggling with this. Men in the pulpit in leadership positions are not treating women that way. In the Christian church, even evangelical church, we see sexual immorality everywhere. And so this, this thing that, that Paul is telling him that God has put on Paul's heart to write to Timothy is something that's been happening for 2,000 years in the church. It goes way beyond that, obviously, but, but in the church specifically. And, and so, men, how we conduct ourselves, this is, Luke talked about this last week, how we conduct ourselves, how we seek after purity, how we seek after holiness is so incriti- critical in how we honor God with our life and how we honor the women in our life. All right, let's look at the next two verses, three and four. Honor widows. Notice he goes right into that after he's just talked about older and, and older women and younger women. Now he goes right into widows. Honor widows who are truly widows. We'll come back to that in a minute. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own house and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Okay, to honor or to honor them. We, we kind of talked about it's to revere, to esteem, right? To, to really value in a, in a real practical way, right? Because that really wasn't always taking place in the culture. We should do that. James is half-brother of Jesus. James chapter 1, when he's writing to the early church there in verse 27, the first part, he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You can see Jesus talks about widows multiple times. The widow that the petitions the judge and is relentless. The widow that gives her two pennies or her two coins, which is about equal to a penny. He references them all the time about lifting them up and, and honoring them and, and, and saying, look, th- these people are, are deserving of your honor. I think that's why Jesus talks about them so much. We see in Acts chapter 6 that they say, hey, there's, there's people that need attention. There's these widows that are not being fed, and they appoint seven men, godly men. They had to be godly men to be a go and serve them to make sure that they got food. Because there was no Meals on Wheels. <laughs> there was no meals team here at the Ridge that was going to drop something off to you. And many in this culture, babies were left a lot of times. So women would, would end up and have a child that was not theirs. Because they just, they just would raise children. People would have children and not want them. And, and the women would swoop in and take up the children. And so when it talks about orphans, that's why. Or, or maybe a family was died and there was children left. In that text, it then says this, but if, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, if you have children or grandchildren, they should take care of you. I was 
friend of mine um, was married a couple years ago, a young man who used to attend church here, and um, the culture that her, his wife's parents are from is, uh, is an Asian culture. And uh, I remember sitting down with him a couple years ago when I did their premarital counseling, and uh, they said, well, our responsibility is to be able to provide for their retirement because there's no retirement system in their culture. I'm like, woo! And he says, we'll do it. We'll do everything we can. That's foreign to us. I mean, it is. It's foreign to me. But most of the world kind of functions that way. Like, who takes care of our elders? Who provides for them financially? No retirement system there. He's really praying that Jesus comes first, but that's it. So what's the point? Family should be the first to provide for a widow. If you have a widow, if you have a mom or a... And I know that we're... He's talking strictly about women here. I think this really goes beyond this in our culture and even in this culture. Uh, obviously, if we have a father that's, that's widowed and can't work, they were taking care of him too. I, I don't, I don't want to... But like Paul is addressing because there was such a need to make sure that it was a focus on women. That, that, that they, we need to take care of them, Timothy. That, that these are not just, not just excess people in the culture, not just property. These are, these are women that we should honor and respect and care for. And so he, he addresses this, but obviously Scripture clearly says that we should care for our families. He so goes on there and it says, to make some return to their parents. He gives two reasons why um, that we should care for widows. Two really just clear, quick little reasons after he says it, right? He says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness. So it's going to be godly to take care of them. He's saying, look, the right thing, the godly thing to do is to take care of them. Godliness to their own household. So in your home, you should take care of your own. And primarily, this fell to the responsibility of the men. And I would argue that men, we should still have that responsibility. That doesn't mean our wives can't work. That doesn't mean they can't make good money and be part of that process. But I mean, as far as leading in our home, we should make sure that, that our moms or our, our, our in-laws, our in-law mother and our mother-in-law is taken care of. You say, well, there's social security and there's, and there's this now and there's this. Now. And there, praise God, yes, there is. But I can tell you that if you're on social security and you're 70 years old, you may be almost at the poverty level. So, so just don't think, oh, that lady gets Social Security. Yeah, she was a teacher for her whole life and didn't make a whole lot of money, but she served children her whole life and she gets a meager 1500 bucks a month. How's she gonna survive? Hopefully, her husband has been wise and paid the debt off before he died or the two of them got together and paid the debt off. I would encourage you to do everything you can to pay your debt off. To prepare, because one of you is going to die short of Jesus coming back. And you need to be ready. My wife and I have told you we paid our debt off about five years ago. We worked hard. We've, been, we've done without a lot of things. We don't need them anyway, but we want them. But we've done out without them. As I told you, I had cement blocks for 25 years going to my front door. 
or our front door. It's not just my front door. Terry didn't want to own it, so it was mine, but so, you know. We wanted a porch for 25 years. But we both said, no, we're going to pay our debt off. And I will be candid with you. We bought a car the other day, and I can't believe how much cars cost. <laughs> we put down two-thirds in cash. And we hope in the next four months it'll be, the rest of it will be paid off because we're just going to devote every dollar to it. Men, if you love your spouses, if you love your wives, if you love your families, live below your means and pay your debt off. Live free of that. If you can get insurance, life insurance, get insurance. Save. Put money in a 401k. Whatever you need to do to prepare. But if you have a widow in your family that has, for whatever reason, has not worked out that way in her life, then you need to come alongside them and help them. Maybe financially. Maybe it's just visiting. I know in our culture today, because of, of assisted living and nursing homes and, and, and in-home care, there's the plethora of opportunities to be able to support older people that are struggling in their health and, and we're living longer and, and, and people are struggling from Alzheimer's and dementia. And that's a challenge to their own safety, uh, but it's also a challenge to the caregiver that's, that's pouring their life out to be able to care for them. Some of you have had your parents, your elderly parents living with you. And, and I know the, the challenge that that is sometimes, and I think it's a wonderful, godly thing. Some people may have to make a decision to, to maybe see about moving mom or dad into a nursing home. And I, I understand that as well. We did that as brothers to, with my mom. She, we had a very long conversation with her. She was, actually, she didn't really want to come live with any of us. I don't know why, but she didn't want to intrude on us. She's very gracious that way. And none of us really had homes that could care for her. She had dementia and Alzheimer's. So what do you do then? How can we care for them? Well, you handle their finances. You go visit them regularly. And I will just toot my sister-in-law's horn. Cindy would do the laundry for my mom at the nursing home because they couldn't keep from losing all their clothes. And so she would go and get it every week and take it home and do it. My brothers would visit, and I was younger and didn't do a very good job. I didn't serve my mother well, probably, in that sense. But that's, that's, that's the commitment. That, and, and we have to set aside our, our life. So the next thing, right, to make some return to their parents. This idea of a recompense to, to give return in kind. Does anybody remember when you were one? I didn't think so. Who was probably taking care of you? Your mom or dad. Who was feeding you? Did you get up on your high chair and go get yourself something to eat? Make yourself a peanut butter sandwich? Your parents. Who cared for you for years? took you back and forth to sports and got you up for school and made you breakfast, helped you with your homework, pulled your tooth, right? Bandaged your wound, held you when you were crying. And somehow when we get to this place, when our parents get old, we say, well, the system. No, that's us. Now it's our turn to love them well. And I know some of you just do a phenomenal job at this. And I'm, I'm learning from many of you. So what's the point? They cared for us. <laughs> we, we should 
We should be the first ones to provide for them because they cared for us. What's the second reason? It says, for this is pleasing to God in his sight. So what's the second clear reason that we should do it? It's because it pleases God. God wants the family to take care of their own. We see this all the way back in the Old Testament. Where do we see it? Multiple places. I'm just going to read you the foundational passage. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Fifth commandment. Right up there with do not murder. Have no other gods before me. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. God is saying you need to honor them. Now, I know we can have all sorts of discussions because of the conflict, because of the relational challenges in families, and maybe even this morning you're feeling some turmoil because you say, well, I'm not speaking to my parents. I understand that there's, there's lots of details here, and, and not every case is going to be what you would want it to be because of sin and, and because of relational difficulties. And so don't hear that. I know that many of us, like I said, your parents may, um, or your mom or dad may have serious health issues and maybe they're in a nursing home and, and maybe they're out of state, maybe you don't live in state and so how do you do that? And I, I believe me, I understand all the challenges with it but I'm saying to the best of our ability that should be our prayer and our, our desire is to care for them because it pleases God. Alright, now here in verse 5 and 6 Paul is going to contrast the two types of widows. Verse 5 it says, She who is truly a widow left all alone That's what it means to be truly a widow, left all alone. Uh, He's saying, really, some are widows, but they have family, right? Truly left alone, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers day and night. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So the first one he mentions there is a woman who is a widow who's all alone, but what has she done? She's set her hopes on God. Her trust is in him. Her trust is is in Christ and and caring for her and and just trusting like, this is the life that I have. There's going to be trouble, but my trust and my hope is in him. And she prays day and night, continues in supplications, this idea of, of going to God and asking for assistance, asking for help, pleading with him. But she trusts him day and night. Maybe she's praying for another husband. It's very possible. Where do we see this? One of the places we see this that I think really jumps out of us is right after Jesus is is born, Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple for a a ceremony to, to be able to dedicate Jesus. And there's a woman there in the temple, right? Name's Anna. And in um, I think it is in Luke chapter two, verse thirty six and thirty seven. This is what it says about her. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So the thought there is that she was married for seven years. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Married for seven, probably when she was very young, be our guess, Probably in her 20s, her husband, gone, dies, we don't know, doesn't say, but she's a widow. The rest of her life, she dedicates her life to prayer in the temple. 
Now, is I, am I saying that every woman or every husband that hap, that's a widow needs to do that? No. But I'm saying this is what this, what, what, what Timothy or Paul is telling Timothy is that where are you going to put your trust? How are you going to live your life? And, and where are you going to serve the rest of your life at? He's just painting a picture of a woman. She's set her hope and she continues in supplication, prayer days and night. You don't need to serve in the temple, but one of the things we're going to see here as we get into this a little bit more is that it's possible, it's a little unclear, that, that certain women, especially older possibly women, that would, that would be a widow, would then pledge their service to the church to work, to serve in multiple different ways and to care for people and to care for the sick. And they made a pledge not to marry, to be committed to serving in the church. They'd been married. They didn't want to remarry. They're older. Maybe they didn't want to get remarried, and they're just going to commit to do that. Because in that culture, what would you do if you didn't remarry? If you had no children, no husband, you couldn't really get a job, you could serve in the church. You could serve the poor. You could take care of orphans. All beautiful, wonderful things. All things that, that women have been gifted with to caring for children and people and the sick and the poor and and so I think that's what he's trying to, to show here. But then he contrasts it to another type of widow. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. What's he saying? I think what, what Paul is saying is that there are some that, that, that end up being widows. And what happens? They're, they're alive, but they are dead spiritually. They, they've left, almost abandoned the faith. They're living for themselves, right? Good possibility that there was probably sexual immorality in that point. Many of them maybe been turned to prostitution as a way to earn a living. He goes on in verse 7 and 8. He says, command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. So he's talking about... Um, all the things he's just talked about, right? Command these things as well. It's a commandment. It's an imperative here. So that they may be without reproach. We've been talking about how we live the Christian life. Luke talked about that last week. We should live above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, I think this is a strong statement, does not provide for his relatives, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let's, let's look at that first line though. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Who, who is he commanding this to? Who are the recipients of this command? I think there's three primary parties here. The church. He's saying, church, you should take care of people. You should take care of the widows. You should provide for them. You should take care of them. He's commanding them. So we, the church can be without reproach. Like we, we care for people, right? Second group, the family of the widow. He's addressed that. If you're a family of a widow, you should take care of them. Because if you're not, you're not living above reproach. You're being selfish. You're, you're living a selfish life. You should care for your parents or your in-laws or your grandparents, for those that are in need. And then I think the third one he's, he's commanding is the widow herself. You should live by prayer and trusting in God and not one of self-indulgence. He's calling her to holiness. So he's commanding all three of those groups to live above reproach. 
to be a statement, to be a, an image of the bride. But then he goes on in this strong statement at the second part of that in verse 8. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household. So really, he's arguing that, that it's beyond your even household, that if you have an aunt that maybe is a widow, you probably should be trying to help her as well and to care for her. But he says, but even especially for your members of your own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is a, think about the weight of what Paul just said there. Worse than an unbeliever? <laughs> what does that mean? How can we be, I think what Paul is just trying to say is, look, even unbelievers care for people they love. Like even people that don't love Jesus have no foundational truth in their life about Christ and about who God is. Even they care for people that they love. Where else do we see this? We see this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is speaking. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Jesus is saying, look, everybody does that. Do not even tax collectors do the same? He would argue that that's an unbeliever. So Paul is just really impressing upon Timothy that, that he, as he helps set up the church and lead the church and structure the church, that we should admonish lovingly each other to take care of our relatives, to take care of our parents. And I know that that can come in different looks now in our culture. We have, we have different options and and I'm not here to prescribe one thing and this is what it must be done. I'm not saying oh, your parents all need to move in with you and, and you know, whatever. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the, the heart, our heart should be one of caring for them and providing for them in whatever way you feel best, that best honors God and them. Paul goes on here in verse nine and 10 and he shares the qualifications for a widow to get assistance. And here's where it gets... I would say muddy, but here's where it gets a, there's a few things we're not sure about, at least I'm not, and historians are not really sure about it. It says, let a widow be enrolled. So what's this idea of being enrolled? We'll, we'll talk about that. If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, that just means caring for the church in all things, not literally that she has to wash all their feet, but she serves the saints. Has cared for the afflicted, the sick, and has devoted herself to every good work. She's just working for the Lord. So this idea of being enrolled. Most historians, most theologians believe that the church obviously was, was tracking people to, to know where they were, to, to say, oh, these are the widows that we need to care for. And there's a list that we put them on. But here's the challenge. We're going to get to it in a minute. So it seems to say that this list is not for every widow. Maybe there's multiple lists. But there's certain widows that were making a pledge to the church not to remarry and to serve. Not all widows needed to do that. And you'll see that kind of unfold here in a minute. But it says not, so there's, there's kind of some things here that are kind of the qualifications. Not less than 60. That's subjective here, I think, in the text. I don't think Paul's saying, hey, you know, if they're 59 and a half, I'm sorry, you know, you missed it by six months. I think he's just 
putting a number out there and saying, there's this point, there's a principle here. As, as they're young, they're going to want to remarry. They're still capable of, of having children and doing different things and being remarried. And so don't just put everybody on the roll just because of that. Because the church had very limited resources. The wife of one husband. I don't think that should be taken literally that way. I think, once again, we see here in Timothy that that translates really to be faithful to your husband, to be a faithful wife. And why do I say that? Because if you look at that and you say, well, let's say she was married and her son went to, or her husband went to war at age 20 and he dies and she remarries. Now, can she not be served by the church if he dies because she's had more than one husband? No, that's not what that's trying to say. It's saying that she needs to be faithful. This whole thing, again, is about a reputation that she has and her standing, right? The husband and wife means a faithful wife. In other words, if she's not been faithful, if she's doing all these things, then don't, don't support her in the same way. Not, don't love her, yes. Continue to evangelize, yes. Do all of those things. It's not that we don't have fellowship, but look, you're not gonna put her on the roll to keep her financially sound. You're not gonna pay all her bills, maybe. This is, this is not just free money for everyone. This is people in the church, the body of Christ, and he goes on there about this reputation, having a reputation for good works. He just identifies that there. All right, so those are some of the qualifications. Then he goes, and he kind of says it the other way. But refusal, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. Now, that's not bad to desire to marry. That's kind of what he's saying. So we're talking about this list maybe. I'll explain this. And so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. It almost reads like if she desires to remarry, she's abandoned her faith. And we know that's not true because Paul tells us that when your husband dies, you should remarry. Absolutely. Don't, don't, don't let passion burn. Remarry. And so it's clearly he's not talking about all widows. And so we're thinking that there was probably women that had, that had, had a husband die and they had then went to the church and made a pledge or a vow to serve the church as long as they, the church would take care of her and she would serve the sick and the poor and the orphans and do all of these things, but the church would care for her. And what he's saying is, is, is if you put a young woman in that role, there's a good chance because of her lack of maturity and, and her desire to remarry that she will abandon that vow. And that vow was almost like a marriage covenant. And so he said, and they would abandon their faith because they wouldn't be faithful to that vow. And that's what he's trying to say here. And so then they would incur condemnation for abandoning their former faith. But then he says, besides that, they learned to be idlers, going from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, busybodies saying what they should not. Now, I'll just be real clear. That could be men, too. All right, That's just not a woman thing. That could be men, too. But here's, here's the challenge in this culture. You didn't have a job. If you didn't have children, you didn't have a job, and you weren't married... You had time. Men were working. They were serving and doing all sorts of things, maybe going off to war. As women, you didn't have anything to do, and so you had time to talk. You had time to social. And if you were young, you, what happens when we have too much time on our hands? Any of us. We talk about people. Right? We just talk about people. And so he said, don't, don't let that happen, right? Help Get them to marry. Because what's going to happen when they marry? They're going to have responsibility. They're going to have to, and we're going to see that. They're going to have to manage their household. Maybe they're young enough to have children. Maybe the man that they marry has children. 
Maybe they'll, maybe they'll get married and, and decide to, to adopt some orphans and they'll, they'll have children in their home. And so she's gonna have purpose all over again. And she's gonna have things to be able to do. It goes on in verse 14 and 15. It says, so I would have younger women, younger women, widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the ad, uh, adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. He's saying some have already done this. But I would encourage them to marry, have children, and manage their household. And once again, I know that we live in a completely different culture. My wife works outside the home. We don't have any children at home. You know, our children are 40 and something. And so I'm not saying that women shouldn't work out of the home. But what I would say is one of the ladies, and many of you just are just so wonderful at this. Don't let the culture tell you that staying home and raising your children and manage your home is not of, of great value. It is the most beautiful, God-honoring thing to shape children's lives and to manage a home, to, to, to do it well. It honors God. It, 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 it's, it, it's just a part of the system. And once again, I'm not saying, ladies, you can't work. That's not my point. I'm saying, but if you have children, I believe God has gifted you to nurture them and raise them. And I know for many of us, and I, I probably was here too, we want more stuff, and so we want to find a way to be able to both work and have children and have it all and have this and have the new car and have the bigger house, and, and so then we give our children to somebody else to, to raise, kind of. And sometimes I know that's not, it's not possible not to do that. We have single parents, we have Financial difficulties, I'm just saying that our heart, our desire, maybe you have grandparents. I know my wife and I, we helped our daughter. She was a single mom for a lot of time. We, we, my wife didn't work for three years to be able to help raise our children or her children. We did without. Now, I'm not, I'm not tooting our horn. Look, there's a lot of things we didn't do well, so I just don't share those with you. Um, <laughs> There was a lot of yelling and screaming when my kids were little. And I'm glad I'm not back there. But so we should care for them. And so, ladies, just we need to stay busy, all of us. We need a purpose. All right, we got to finish up. Verse 16. So if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So what's he saying here? He says, look, if, if you're a, um, a believing woman, this is what I'm talking about, she could have been in the church, maybe, she's, maybe she is a widow, maybe she's not, maybe she's just a believing woman. Women should care for other women. And there was obviously a big challenge there of men caring for women. That's not a good thing necessarily, unless you're family. But other women should care for other women. If any believing woman has a relative who are widows, let her care for them, right? Let the church not be burdened. In other words, you need to shoulder some of this burden. The church is here for those that really need it, but if you can do it, you need to be doing it. It's what pleases God so that, they, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. The church has limited resources at this time, and churches today have limited resources. God has is, is graciously, by your faithfulness, has gifted the Ridge Church. We are debt-free. We have you know, money in the bank. We have a lot of resources I will tell you, though, we need people to deploy those resources, to serve. Money is, is important, but not nearly as important as your time and your love for other people. It's the most important thing. 
So the last point, the church is responsible to help truly needy widows. I would argue that not just widows, but for the point of the text here, I think that's what he's trying to say. The church is responsible to help truly needy widows. All right, I just want to wrap this up real quick. Here at the church, we have a long way to go of becoming this type of family. It's work. It's work in progress. There's a lot of things that are work in progress here. And sometimes we fail at things. Sometimes we do things that don't work out. And sometimes we mess things up. But we're working at trying to, to move our church family, all of us, in a place where this is what it looks like in our day and age, right? And so what, what are some things we do? If you're a member, you're assigned an elder. Not that the elder's going to check on you every day or come over and mow your grass, because most of us are too old to do that in the heat. That's not too much. It, it's to have you be a, us available for you. If you need something, you have somebody you can get to know and contact. Now, you can contact any one of us, but ideally, we want to get to a place where you know your elder, and we're, we're working at that. We know we're not perfect at that, so that you can reach out to us and let, let us know that you're in need. Or maybe you know someone else in need, and so you reach out to us. And we can then kind of delegate and point you in the right direction or help someone to assist you. Grief share. If you lose someone, Beth Wilmoth and Jane Combs lead a class called Grief Share. It's like a 12-week class, and they're getting ready to do it again. And just a wonderful way to care for people. We're also looking at a long-term support team possibly in the future, a ministry that would, you know, some traumatic things that happen in people's lives, 12 weeks is not enough. We need continual care at some level all the way out. And the church should be about having structure that does that. The Hope Team. This is a team that, that uh, has a budget that's able to help financially people inside our church and outside the church. And there's a team of people. They do interviews, and, and we, we try and meet needs where we can. There's, we do different things for people outside the community of the church and people that are believers in the church. Um, because I think the Scripture's clearly that we start with our own believers there's obviously the prayer group. You can, we, we pray for one another. We can put that on the app. And, and uh, so that's a, a piece that Jenny Phillips kind of runs that through the app. So here, let's say that um, you want to know how can you serve? How can you be a part of this type of ministry in the church that I think Timothy is being told by Paul is so important? Opportunities to serve in others in the church. Number one, hope team. Now, I will be real clear, the Hope Team just, you got to go through an interview process to get on the Hope Team. Not because it's, it's we're interviewing people where there's a certain level of ability to talk to people, to share the gospel with people, uh, to give financial counsel. Sometimes you have to say no. Um, we want to be, we want people that are just good at that, that are gifted at kind of doing that. And if you think that's one of you, I would encourage you to contact Don Wolf, come see me, and uh, we'll see about the Hope Team possibly giving you an interview. The Meals Team. Beth Wilmoth kind of manages that, but there's many people, Jenny and others, that are part of that process. They've worked, and they, they, they freeze meals. They do all sorts of things. The freezer's got some. So as soon as something happens, they can take something out of the freezer and take it to somebody right away, right? We find out about dietary issues and all sorts of things like that. There's a lot of work that goes into that. Then there's two new things that we're trying to get started, and some men are trying to get a help team called the HELPS team. Uh, there are people in our church that, that um, there's a, a woman, she's not a widow, a woman in our church that's a very godly woman and just, you know, is single and 
there's some repairs in her house, you know? She's just not able to do some of those things. And so a group of men have got together, and, and they're going to be working here next Saturday or this Saturday, I forget, this Saturday, uh, this coming Saturday, and go over and do a bunch of work. Uh, there's still work to be done there. They're looking for somebody that can do a little roofing repair. If anybody's available, please, uh, please see me or please see, uh, gosh, Jerry Proctor or John Woolwine or somebody from the men's group. Um, and then there's a, a service team that we're hoping uh, Dave Brooks has it on his heart um, and I don't know, Dave, you here today? I don't know if he's here today. Um, he said, you know, if somebody needs me to run to the grocery store for him, I'll go pick up some groceries. He's partly retired and he has time. Somebody needs me to, you know, plant a few flowers for him in their flower pot because they just can't get out right now. I'll go, I'll go serve them that way. <laughs> what a, he has such a big heart. He said, I'll walk their dog. <laughs> you know, he'll do whatever somebody wants him to do. Rake their leaves. We have to get out of I was sitting in my house the other day, and there's so much work because we want bigger houses, more yard, more stuff. We want to keep it nice, and I think that's a God-honoring. But then we have no time for anybody else. Our culture has made it so our kids are playing sports night five nights a week and doing all these things, and then we're just exhausted. And I'm, I'm just saying we need to balance our priorities here a little bit. I'm not saying you chuck one thing for the other. I'm saying we need to somehow you've got to carve out some time in your life to serve one another because that honors and pleases God. And it takes time. It is the most precious thing you have. So what's your next step? Treat others like family and commit to helping care for the needy in the church. Treat others like family. Honor older people as fathers and mothers. Treat others as brothers and sisters and help care for the needy in God's church. I'll leave you with this passage. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. John says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has worldly goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Lord, I I pray that we will be a, a church family that will care for one another deeply, that we will esteem each other as family members that we will care for those, specifically widows and, and women in our church that need assistance at times. Father, this obviously this principle expands beyond widows. It expands to, to helping single dads or elderly men or families that are just struggling financially. So Father, I pray that we will continue to carve out some time in our lives to make sure that we are doing those things because I believe it is a witness to the world around us, how we care and love for one another. In fact, you tell us the world will know you by our love for one another. And so help us to love not just in words, but in deeds and in truth. Father, we praise you for giving us fellowship in Christ, giving us a family to be a part of. Father, we praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. 
If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.